Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you on another beautiful, warm Sunday afternoon. I think I say that every Sunday afternoon because we live in Southern California. And you know why we live here. It's not the 101 or the 405. No, no, no. We live here because of the sunshine. And it makes us feel happy. There's actually research on that, of course. People in the North and the Northeast often suffer from seasonal affective disorder, that the lack of light into their brain can cause depression. I know I suffered from it back when I lived in Canada eons ago. And when I got here, I just became perpetually happy. And I'm blaming it on the beautiful sunshine. So I hope you're having a good one today and coming back from a lovely weekend. Uh, if you've been following the KFI newsroom, Larry Perel has been telling us about a shooting in Florida. I don't want to weigh in too much on this yet until I find out more about the shooter. The only thing I want to say is that apparently it was at a video game tournament of such and that it was an argument after one of the players lost. And then the boundaries became blurry in his perception uh, between the video game itself and the shooting that goes on there and an actual gun in his hand. So low frustration tolerance, what went on there? I'm not going to blame video games because I think that Actually, as a human species, our cultures have become much more peaceful than any other time in history. And at the same time, you see our natural aggression go into our media. So our books, movies, and games become more and more violent. And if you look at some of the countries with the lowest crime rates in the world, Nordic countries, for instance, Sweden, with their violent rock music and their crazy crime, true crime and and not-so-true-crime fiction, um, that that is clearly where gentle-minded men put their naturally evolved aggression into media. So I'm not blaming video games here, uh, but there's definitely something up with the shooter um, and the low frustration tolerance and, as always, empathy, compassion to the family. I should mention as well, yeah. Dr. Wendy, that mm-hmm. uh, we're expecting a news conference to happen around 4.15, so about okay. 10 minutes from now. Hopefully so, we'll get some more information on so that. So we might break in. Yeah. Okay. In other news that's far more in my wheelhouse, because if you do not know, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I specialize in the art of human attachment. And there is a science to love. It has biological underpinnings. It has sociological pieces. And, of course, the psychology of love. And if you also don't know, um, I happen to accidentally have become one of the early voices in the Me Too movement. So... I speak about Me Too a lot. So I got approached by a lot of people, a lot of messages from many of you this week saying, you got to talk about Asia Argento. You know, she was a Me Too leader. She's that Italian actress uh, and director. And she was probably one of the first women to come out publicly accusing producer Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault. She then became a leading figure in the Me Too movement. Well, the news is now that back in 2013, she invited 
a young actor who had been a child actor working under her as a director years before, but now he was just past his 17th birthday. And in 2013, um, they met at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel here in Marina del Rey. Hey, I had lunch there yesterday. I didn't go up to a hotel room and meet Asia, but apparently this guy did. And uh, she had posted on Instagram. It's so funny because people who are extroverts and process externally, like I do, for instance, I hear a thought sometimes for the very first time outside of my lips. Mm-hmm. It's real fun. Uh, but I noticed that celebrities, those that need attention, uh, like to post everything going on in their lives on social media. So you can almost track the arc of their emotional life by going back to look at their Twitter feed. So apparently she wrote on Instagram in 2013, waiting for my long lost son, my love, Jimmy Bennett, in trepidation, hashtag Marina Del Rey, smoking cigarettes like there was no week. And he tweeted or Instagrammed or commented back, sorry, I'm telling you, my teenager would kill me for all those digital mistakes I just made verbally. And he wrote back in a comment on Instagram, I'm almost there. Well, what happened is he arrived with a family member. She asked the family member to leave. Supposedly, she gave him alcohol. These are all in court documents, not court documents, private claim documents uh, sent anonymously to the New York Times. And uh, then before you know it, she removed his pants and performed oral sex. He claims that he used to make a lot of money that between the time he started child acting until he was 18 or 17 until this time, he made uh, two or $3 million, and then his work went down to about 60 grand a year. He's uh, become a bit of a rocker, a singer of sorts as well. So let's just stop and unpack this for a little bit. Oh, and also at the same time, he was suing his parents because some of the money in the trust from when he earned it when he was young went away under his parents' management. So... Here's a child actor who has been exposed to very adult concepts, as happens in the entertainment business. Here is a child actor, now a young man, almost, still legally, underage and a minor, let's make that clear, uh, realizing that the money he thought was there isn't there. And there's an opportunity to go after the woman who he said assaulted him. So apparently she paid him $380,000. So the world... Fingers are wagging. Tongues are wagging. Oh, my goodness. Here's this woman who says she was raped by Harvey Weinstein when she was 21. And yet, at the age of 37, she hints herself practiced statutory rape against a young man. Oh, dear. Well, let's unpack this. First of all, as complicated as it is, we have to understand that it is very, very common for victims to become villains. Most perpetrators of child sexual abuse were, surprise, surprise, sexually abused as children themselves. This young woman, Asia Argento, actress and director, is the daughter of a very famous Italian director. She herself was put into movies very early as a child. Um, She... You know, I have to say this about children, and I know people are listening who are in the entertainment business. Either you have kids who are child actors, either uh, you work in the entertainment industry and you hire child actors. I don't believe, this is my personal opinion, that we protect our minors enough on sets. 
protect them from adult content. We don't protect them from stuff that just gets said on sets. And a lot of these kids are highly intelligent. They copy the adult ways very quickly. So we almost forget that they are children because of the way they talk. But emotionally, their brains are not developed enough to be able to handle some of the stuff they're exposed to. And then there is the opportunity to be sexualized, right? So as soon as it becomes entertainment, little girls are dressed more provocatively than perhaps a mother would do uh, at school. And again, they're in this very adult world with very adult language, adult themes. They're just exposed to it because it's happening all around them. And this is a form, I believe, of child abuse in its own right. It's at least emotional abuse. But setting these kids up for the very vulnerable situation of being victims of actual sexual abuse is huge in the entertainment industry. So my suspicion is that Asia Argento went through this. She was a child actress in Italy, no less. Her dad was a director. I can only imagine what happened to this little girl on those sets. And so then when she becomes a director, she has a child actor who grows up before her eyes and she falls somehow in love with, my fingers are making quotation marks with the word love because she has a strange definition of love, right? It's only, she only knows what has been done to her. This is not to absolve her of all blame. It is simply to explain this is how cycles of abuse happen, that people who are traumatized end up committing trauma on others. My heart goes out to everybody in this situation. Jimmy Bennett, Asia Argento, and I'm sure they're both getting attacked online for different things, and they don't need this on top of what's going on. This was not meant to be leaked. Okay, enough said. When we come back, I've been reading a lot about middle-aged male isolation, why it's more common first in men, and how it can impact your health and what you can do about it. Let's talk about it when we come back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM640. Larry Perel has the news. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. KFI AM640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. You can follow me online. The handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh, W-E-N-D-Y-W-A-L-S-H. Follow me on Instagram. I want to know what you think of my new bar. Don't laugh. I took a front hall closet. And who, who needs a front closet in California? We don't have overcoats. And I had a cabinet maker come and make this beautiful bar. So now I need to have like a cocktail party or something. It looks so pretty. It's more for decorating. I don't even drink that much, but it looks so cool. All right, go have a look at it. It's on my Instagram at Walsh. All right, speaking of having a cocktail party, this is something women do. We gather, right? We gather together. We have good social support. And interestingly enough, there is a lot of research on middle-aged men and loneliness. Now, reminder, we have more single adults in America than married adults for the first time in history. We also have more adults living alone than, the, than ever in history. And this is impacting men's health worse than it is women because women spend their time building villages, especially if they've been raising kids. When my kids were little and I was a single mom, 
I didn't want to and couldn't afford to pay a babysitter to go out a couple nights a week. So I started cooking big Sunday dinners and inviting any poor, unsuspecting couple, family that I would meet at the preschools or the elementary schools or wherever I went in my day. It was a hodgepodge of fabulous people who, you know, brought wine and I did big bowls of pasta. And we made, of course, now I'm on the low-carb diet. Pasta's in my past. Anyway, I, um, it was a way to build social capital that I still have today. And a fascinating thing that I've noticed is that when women are young, they need men more. When they are in their fertility years, they need a man as a provider, a protector, um, to be there to help raise kids. But once a woman's childcare duties are behind her and she's built some kind of financial security and all this social capital, I think men need women more than women need men. It's fascinating. Well, there is research, guys, just to let you know, sorry to say, the biggest health threat facing middle-aged men is not smoking, it's not obesity, it's loneliness. And the authors of a book called The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century, say that this began in the 1980s when more and more research started to show that the more socially isolated were more likely to die during a given period than their socially connected neighbors. And this is even after you corrected for age, gender, lifestyle choices, exercising, eating right, all that stuff. Um, it's actually the loneliness, and it increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, and the progression of Alzheimer's. Um, it can also be, uh, one study found, that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking, just being lonely. So why does this happen with men and not so much with women? Well, a lot of it has to do with gender roles and a belief system that men have that exhibiting certain kinds of emotions is not masculine. And so what does it take to build friendships? It takes emotions like kindness, kindness, warmth, empathy, and many men associate these expression of these things as being a feminine quality. So men tend to restrict their range of emotions. They get stuck in what I call the man box, right? They're in this box and they're unable to get out of it. Now, there's another piece too, in that when women socialize, we socialize face-to-face. -face. We may do things together, but we also talk a lot. You can maintain a really good female friendship by a lot of phone time. I mean, I, that's what I use the freeways for in LA. I am on my Bluetooth all day long with my girlfriends, solving every problem in the world. Um, but men have two issues. One is they have a lot of stigma around therapy. And most people don't go to therapy anyway saying, oh, I'm feeling really lonely. They go to therapy for a diagnosis, like we've reduced the stigma around depression or anxiety. But actually, they're less likely to go to therapy. But when they build friendships, guys are friends with each other side by side, not face to face. They have to have a common activity. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh back with you. Uh, always know that KFI will bring you up to date on all the latest breaking news. So when we do have to break into programming, we will do it for you because we know that's why you listen to KFI, so that you are up on top of things. And one detail I left yeah. out here was yeah. that uh, the shooter was reported by uh, officials to be 24-year-old David Katz from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, mm -hmm. They are likely going to search his vehicle and likely he stayed at a hotel in Jacksonville last night. Just want to add that. Okay. Okay. And I will say only one thing there. Testosterone 
24. Mm -hmm. That's the height of male testosterone. And if you don't have a good clutch and a brake pedal, it can create some very impulsive behavior. And we don't know what. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And on in his childhood, but I could connect all the dots if I had more information. All right, we are talking. We are talking about. And I just want to wrap up um, this growing health threat, uh, particularly for middle-aged men, of loneliness. That loneliness and isolation is turning out to be more dangerous for a man's health than smoking or obesity. And the way men befriend each other is very different than the way women befriend each other. Uh, first of all, we have six women at the end of our phone line at any moment that we could call, and we choose which one we want to hear our problem, and it's very easy for us. We have villages. Women are wired to build villages because in evolutionary times, we needed those villages to help raise kids. Men, on the other hand, build teams with hierarchies, and our culture has put many men into an emotional man box where they are not allowed to express the warmth and compassion that you need to create friends. So what dudes need is an activity. And the research shows that what works best, if you happen to be a man of a certain age looking to build better, more supportive male friendships, is to create a time of regularity, some built-in regularity, something that's always on your schedule. I'm thinking off the top of my head of men I know who have great guys groups and they have regular poker nights or I know men that train running or hiking for a particular hike or run. Um, they buy season's tickets to something and go to games together. Or maybe they simply say, let's have lunch the last Friday of every month. Since your office is near mine, let's just make a point of it, right? Regularity. This is the thing that will keep men coming together. And I think that social support is very, very important. Now, I also know middle-aged men who have many, many women friends and realize that that kind of social capital, that emotional investment can help them cope. I mean, come on. We're all just vulnerable human beings trying to find our way through. And humans don't do well in isolation. In fact, the worst punishment we can ever think of for a human being is solitary confinement. And so what we do is we find ways to lean on each other's shoulders and get through this glorious and messy thing called life. All right, that's all I'm going to say. Moving on. I do want to say what's coming up, though. You know, in the next hour, I'm going to have my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. So think about it. Have you had a dream last night or in the last week that you can remember some details of and would like me to weigh in? I'll be giving out the phone number. That's going to be at around 5, uh, 520, I think. 
uh, you know the number, 1-800-5201-KFI, but the lines will open then. Um, also, do you know a Debbie Downer? Like, you know that person, right? That always complains, like, life is worse for them than anybody else. They are the primary victim, and you end up getting almost in a competition of victimhood with them? Well, um, guess what? Their brain is to blame, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the neuroplasticity of complaining. But first, we are entering another school year, and if you're a parent, you know that that is filled with a lot more work. The very least of it is getting them there and back. With all the driving and the carpools and the buses and the lunch packing, it's exhausting. We think of it as, as this break because we think of it as free childcare if your kids go to public school like mine do. And then we go, no, no, there's actually more work. And then not to mention the homework fights. But then there is this thing called bullying. It is estimated that more than one in five children actually experience bullying at some point in their life. Um, and rates of bullying, you know, vary, of course. Um, mostly it happens to 12 to 18-year-olds, and the effects of bullying are real. Students who experience bullying are at increased risk for poor school adjustment, sleep difficulties, anxiety, and depression. Look, if one person even says one snide comment to me, and I'm a full-grown adult, I sometimes have a little hard time getting to sleep. So I can imagine a child. Um, So I want to introduce a special guest who specializes in helping families and kids uh, figure this new landscape out. Mm -hmm. Steve Osterhage. Did I say it right? Osterhage? Osterhage. 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 Got it. Executive Director of and trainer for Family Fuel, an organization that coaches students, parents, and teachers, of course, using knowledge and compassion. And so you look at bullying from all perspectives, not just the victim, not just the bully. That's right. Myself, as a psychotherapist, the first thing I would say is whenever there's a bully, you know who needs the hug more than anything? The bully. The bully. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're hurt people. Yeah. So talk to me about, first of all, where your idea came from and why you care so much about this. Well, I think my uh, the initial idea of even starting the nonprofit was based in the fact that my son was bullied in school and he was like mm. the biggest kid in school. And so it was not physical bullying, but it was social emotional bullying. And uh, there was, was it some, online or real world? No, real world. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that there was just not a lot of great information out there mm-hmm. at that time. And so we began thinking, hey, we need to talk to parents. We need to talk to schools and the kids themselves um, about bullying and uh, about you know, the other things we do, educating parents and teachers. And, and I just want to quickly remind people which kids, I mean, any child could be the victim of bullying, but there are certain kids that tend to be more vulnerable. Often they are kids with learning disabilities or, or who are not neurotypical. They might be on the spectrum. They might be a little uh, late in speaking. Um, they could be the quote-unquote weird artsy kid who mm-hmm. just wears really funky, cool clothes because they think it's cool and it's not conforming to whatever is in in middle school. They, um, they could be the kid who has gender nonconforming behaviors, uh, who is potentially a trans person. They could have different sexual orientations. But, you know, what kids do, I want to, first of all, explain kind of the normalcy of behavior that's now gone awry when it becomes bullying. And it is when... Children separate from their family of origin, and they begin to separate. They look for new attachment figures, and it is among their peers. And the way that they create an allegiance to this new social group is through conforming. 
They dress the same, they walk the same, they talk the same. And anybody who doesn't conform threatens their own feeling of security and attachment. So it's actually a very normal developmental stage, but it goes awry when it borders on bullying. So the hardest question I want to ask you Mm -hmm. is what defines bullying? I actually define bullying as, um, you know, acts of either, you know, voice or actual, actual meanness, you know, either from, you know, acts of violence or just your words. Um, but done uh, with this idea of the fear and control mm-hmm. and also in the context of having just uh, this, this hurt inside. Yeah. In other words, kids that bully are hurt inside. And, and we have to keep remembering that. And, and it's important to know that when we give in to, when the victims give in to the fear then it's just, they're just kind It of increases like, the aggression from the other side. Absolutely. Often. You're, okay, you're, when we come back, uh, Steve Oster-Hage. Oster-Hage is executive director of Family Fuel. We're going to talk more about what parents can do to protect their kids from bullying. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM640, Lair Perel. Do you have the news for us? Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm a damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. My guest, Steve Osterhage, is executive director and trainer for Family Fuel. You want to find out more about it, you can go to familyfuel.org. He His company specializes in bullying, conflict resolution. So earlier, see, we we're talking about really what defines bullying. And we know it's online, it's offline, it can be words, it can be actions. It's about the emotional experience of the victim and also the emotional experience of the perpetrator. Um, you practice something called love and logic. What is that? Love and logic is a uh, philosophy of working with people. You know, it's a relationship program um, and, you know, mostly towards kids, but, you know, if it, it works with adults as well. And uh-huh. so uh, the idea behind love and logic is that we, we look at uh, both very loving responses to our kids as well as holding a very high standard, being very strict. And we do it both at the same time, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't think you could do. Most people polarized one or to the other, but love and logic works really well while using, you know, working with the brain and cause and effect and uh, empathy before consequences. I remember taking a parenting class once. I had one kid on the spectrum and they were teaching us that, you know, a kid, and this is for any child, actually, they will get, if they're not given enough positive attention from parents, they need attention. So they will find negative attention. And then you get into a cycle where they only want the bad mommy. Mm -hmm. So the first prescription was actually to get them off that crack, the bad mommy, and get them on a new drug, which is the good mommy. So we had to actually just kind of almost catch them being good and give them rewards for a week before we worried about the bad behavior, taking extinguishing the bad behavior. So what does Family Fuel do for schools and parents? So we we love to come into a school if they want us to talk about bullying. We we come in, we do assemblies for the kids that are age appropriate, and we give them solutions instead of just raising awareness. Um, also work with the the staff, the teachers, so that they can we can all be on the same page about how we're going to handle 
you know, these bullying events. And uh, then we try to get the parents to come. Do you remember the days when teachers' only job was to educate? Uh, right. I know. <laughs> I know. And now teachers are expected to parent. We're babysitting, right? Yeah. yeah. I know. Although I have to say it was a different time because I actually have some trauma from witnessing an act of bullying when I was in second grade. Mm. To this day, I can barely talk about it without my whole body experiencing it. And it was the teacher giving the strap mm -hmm. to a student in right. front of the class. Yeah, those were the days, uh, right? put us all on alert that it could be us next, right? right. Uh, oh, my awful. goodness. I still see the tears down his face. Mm. And oh, my gosh, it was yeah. awful, awful thing. Oh. Um, what are the current bullying trends? What's well, going on I, now? We hear a lot about online bullying, but is it is it real-world stuff's happening too? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, bullying isn't something that can be stopped, you know? I mean, everybody has a choice. We can't make the entire world just a place that there's no evil, there's no, you know, dark thoughts, and people don't have mean feelings toward each other. And so we we realize that these are things that are going to be happening, and if we can use these different solutions, um, it will target both physical bullying, the emotional and social bullying, the exclusion, mm -hmm. the teasing, as well as cyberbullying. Well. I think you're doing God's work there. Very good work Thank because you. teachers and, and families, you do some coaching with parents and yeah, families parent as well. Coaching, yeah, uh, you know, hey, we had one time in middle school carpool, my own daughter was quote unquote bullying a boy, meaning she was, you know, saying like snide negative comments to him in the car on the carpool. And the way I got wind about it is the mother called me and said that the son was dropping out of carpool. And I was just mortified. I was so worried mm -hmm. about this. So rather than disciplining my daughter, I invited them over for dinner. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. just hung Connect. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. You have to not be afraid to just reach out and make real connections and mm -hmm. relationships with people and families. Absolutely. If you'd like to hear more about Family Fuel and Steve's amazing program, if you'd like him to come to your school, you can go to familyfuel.org. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. All right. When we come back, do you have a dream for me? Because I'm going to be giving out the phone number for my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. And also, do you know a Debbie Downer uh, or what, a Dale Downer? Uh, people who complain all the time actually change their brains in not a good way. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. You can follow me online. The handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. Now, after this segment, when we go to a commercial break, uh, we are going to be taking your calls for my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. I love to analyze dreams. So the number is 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. And when we come to a close on this break, I will make sure that we have either producer Brooke or producer Joey there on the phones to hear about your dreams because I'd love to tear them apart and have fun. Uh, all right. One of the things I always say, I think I've posted it on my Instagram before, is you are what you think. I also post you are what you eat, and that is so true. And uh, if you've been listening to me for a while, you understand that I am obsessed with um, nutrition, with our food industry. I am obsessed with a new area, emerging area of nutritional psychiatry because I really believe that our food can change our mood and that so much, many hormones and neurotransmitters are manufactured in the gut like serotonin. So we look around America, we see one third of American women on an antidepressant and then they're eating processed food. 
So you not only need to take the probiotics, but you need to eat the yummy foods that the probiotics need to live. So it's not only you got to have the bugs, but you got to ask yourself, what bugs do your bugs need so that you can have the right flora and fauna? Uh, and those things include artichoke, uh, what are some other things? Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, onions, mushrooms, yum, yum, yum. See, my stomach is excited just thinking about these things. All right, so I do say all the time you are what you eat, but I also say you are what you think because thoughts affect our mood. Our mood affects our behavior. Our behavior impacts the world, and then the world spits back our thoughts. Well, this is all very well and good if we have a positive thought. If we wake up in the morning and say, today is going to be a good day. There's so much I'm going to... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Get done, or I'm so excited about this, and it changes our mood, it changes the way we walk, it changes the way we talk to people, and then the universe provides. It's a very simple, self-fulfilling prophecy, our thoughts. But what if your thoughts are negative? Well, in the short term, if you're just having a bad day and you wake up as a Debbie Downer and you, you know, kick the cat and spill the coffee and yell at the kids and get out the door, uh, the universe is going to send you your negative stuff back. But what about if you do it chronically? I mean, on a regular basis. Well, you know, our brain has so much neuroplasticity. It's changing and morphing and shaping all the time. It is remarkably malleable. It can be shaped just like a little bit of Play-Doh with maybe more time and effort. So here's the good news about neuroplasticity. You can, through your thoughts, increase your intelligence. You can learn new life-changing skills. We can recover from different kinds of brain damage. We can become more emotionally intelligent. We can unlearn harmful behaviors and beliefs. But what about the other side of the coin? Can we redesign our brain for worse? Yes. So your experiences, your day-to-day -day life, your behaviors, your thinking, your habits, your thought, parent, thought patterns, this is how you react to the world, and it is completely inseparable from how your brain wires itself. Negative habits change your brain negatively. Positive habits change your, your brain for the better. So complaining is one of the things that changes your brain for the worse. Um, and we all know somebody like that. I mean, I actually very sadly uh, separated from a friend of many years who was that. Just 
negative, negative. if you brought up anything, she's, oh, but this could happen. Or, oh, you should worry about that. And just worry, 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 instead of looking for the happiness in everything. And, and then we would get into conversations that almost felt like a competition of the victims. Who could say that life was worse? And it just was not healthy to be around. And sometimes we have to do that, by the way. We have to change our social world in order to change our brain. Um, so negative people were usually brought up in negative families, and this is a family system that they learned. Um, but also a lot of complainers aren't really happy keeping their sadness and their complaining and their negativity inside. They want to share it with you, and they are annoying. We call them Debbie Downers, Dale Downers. And complainers fall into what I like to call three groups. Some are attention-seeking complainers, people who seek attention through complaining. They're always dwelling on that these are like the professional victims. They're always, their situation is always worse than yours. Um, Then there are the chronic complainers, and these people just live in a constant state of complaint. They're always voicing, woe is me, and what, they start, what starts to happen is they start to ruminate. Ruminate is one of those psychobabble words for repetitive, repetitively going over the same thought or problem over and over and over. Now, when we do have a problem, we do need to think about it a lot. We need to process it. It's bad to suppress it and avoid it. We do need to do something. But ruminating is different. Ruminating isn't solving the puzzle. Ruminating is just repeating And then there are people that I like to call the low EQ complainers, your emotional intelligence. And so they have never been taught as children how to manage their feelings. Um, And usually when they're complaining, they actually don't want to hear your perspective or your thoughts or your feelings. You're just a sounding board. You're just a brick wall for them. Well, these uh, people with low emotional intelligence. So the answer, of course, is does Do these people do this just because they're bad people? They, they do it because they learned it? Do they do it because their brain keeps them doing it? And the answer is the third. So how we start behaving is how our brain picks it up. Oh, and guess what? Our brain possesses something called a negativity bias. It simply means that we will focus on negative circumstances much longer than positive ones. Think about it. The last time you had a challenge in life, a problem, you were like obsessed with it, right? But the last time something nice happened to you, you went, oh, that's so great. Thank you. Oh, that's so great. Bye. And you moved on. Your brain moved on. We will focus on negative things because we are natural born problem solvers for survival. And also negative stimuli just produce more neural activity. So they can actually reshape the brain to always go to the negative. So. I know you want to know news you can use. What can we do to change this? Well, interesting enough, the best thing you can do is meditate. Believe it or not, mindfulness and meditation has been shown as a powerful tool in combating negativity. Because once you take away the static from your thought process and get down to just your breathing and your calmness, there actually is a bedrock of joy under there. There is a place of calm and peace and you can sort of bypass these neuropathways that have been charging away forever. So that's one of the things that research has shown, that people who meditate every day display more positive emotions than those who do not. And finally, the other thing you can do is reframe stuff. You know, you can wake up in the morning and say, 
oh, today's going to be a great day. I bet nothing's going to go wrong. And you will be faced with the world where lots of things go wrong. Or you can be like me, that I wake up every morning and say, huh, I wonder what problems the world's going to throw at me today because I'm ready for them. And I literally think of life as a series of problems to be solved. And while I might have an emotional reaction to some of those problems, I take the time to filter it through my intellectual brain. This is called managing your feelings, not denying your feelings, not being unaware of your feelings, but learning to process them, feeling them, looking at them, turning them over in your mind, and then filtering them through your prefrontal cortex to solve the problem. It can actually create better happiness. And finally, because I have to throw it in there, because I do it all the time and we all need to do it every day, we need to practice gratitude because it really rewires the brain. Don't look up, look down, and be greatly thankful for your life. When we come back, he, I want to do your drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Call 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you for our bi-weekly drive-up, drive-by, makeshift dream analysis. You know, Sigmund Freud called dreams the royal road to the unconscious. He called dream material pre-conscious material, meaning it's just ready to pop, and then you can be aware of it. And um, one of the best ways to have any kind of positive personal growth is to keep a dream dream journal. If you don't remember your dreams, you can actually tell yourself to remember them. And uh, you can. Like, I mean, some researchers even say set the alarm for five hours after you go to sleep. It's a cruel thing, right? And just wake up. Wake up enough to say, I'm about to dream and I'm going to remember my dream and then go back to sleep. And uh, I actually did that last night. I didn't set the alarm, but I happened to wake up at that time. And I told myself, and I had an awful nightmare. (laughs) I'll tell you about it if I have time. But if you have a dream for me, give me a call at 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. Let us start with Steve in Sherman Oaks. Hi, it's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Dr. Wendy. I love you and the show. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now I feel better about my day, Steve. Okay, so Great. tell me about your dream. Okay, so um, I was in a vehicle um, driving very, very fast with a very close friend that I know since childhood, and he was in the back seat, and his wife was actually the driver, and she was driving very erratically and very, very, very fast. And I was in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her just to slow down, be careful. And then she started accelerating faster and faster. And then I went to, towards the back seat and I told my friend, which is her husband, I said, he, she's going to crash and we're going to be killed. Do something. And he was very aloof very nonchalant about it, Mm-mm. actually ignored me, didn't really try to do anything. So I was panicking, and my heart rate was going higher and higher, and I was screaming at her, slow down, slow down, and I was panicking. And then we started driving through our family, our childhood houses, mm-hmm. like where we lived, and they looked pristine when we were going down the street, going very fast. And as we went down the road, the houses started deteriorating and became like dust and boarded up and really decrepit. And 
and then we went faster and faster, and then I just woke up. We almost smashed into a brick wall. Oh, my that's goodness. My okay. So how old are you, Steve? I am 57. 57. Anything major going on in your life? Any big changes right now? Um, I'm dating and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, I actually changed careers in the last two years and, Mm -hmm. um, it's going very well. Good. I'm also an artist and I do a lot of very large, um, paintings and fine art. So Mm -hmm. I do a lot of, I do things. Okay. So let me say this This is like a textbook dream. I'm so glad you brought me this dream because everybody can learn from it. There's actually a metaphor, and I don't know if you've ever heard me say this metaphor on the show before and planted it somewhere in your unconscious. And I use this story to explain how the unconscious acts in our life. And I say that, you know, it's like we have made it in life. We're an adult now, and we're in a beautiful limousine, and we're sitting in the back seat, and we're trying to tell the driver to take us to the mansion that we deserve and the beautiful wife and the beautiful life that we deserve. But that darn chauffeur keeps turning that car back around and taking it to the old Dirty Bird restaurant we ate at as kids and back to the old neighborhood. And we are so mad at this driver for not taking us where we deserve to be at this point. And that is a story I tell often about the unconscious. And it comes to mind with your dream. And remember, Steve, that everything in the dream is you. Everything, every person, every item. So if I were to sit with you and do, I could spend an hour with you just asking you questions about the dream. And I'm going to ask you to ask yourself these questions. I would ask you, um, well, actually, let me get a couple things from you. If, I, if you had to s- describe this close friend from childhood in one word, how would you describe him? Um, one word. Um, well, I think he's been distant lately. Ah, okay. But but I but he was very very close to me throughout childhood, and he wants to reconnect, but it's more distant. Okay, and his wife. In one word, how would you describe her today? Um, unstable. Okay. And here's what this dream is telling me that you're going through a lot of change in your life and you're feeling kind of unstable. And there is a piece in your past, unresolved for sure, as you're watching uh, houses that were pristine now deteriorate, you're feeling loss. You're feeling loss of some of the things in your childhood that you meant to bring along with you to the future. And the friend in the back seat is you as a little boy. And there are pieces of your childhood that you do not want to be so distant, that you want to keep closer. And whoever is driving the car is feeling unstable. And I would say when I asked you anything going on in your life right now, you said dating. And it is so hard at every age of life, but particularly when we're in a time of mate selection. It can feel so unstable. And we don't know where we're going. We don't know whose driver's seat we're going to end up in. And my advice to you is to go back to the values you had as a kid. Go back to the ethics, the morals, and the teachings that you want to take with you into this new dating life, and then it'll feel more stable. Steve, I'm so sorry they're pushing us to break, but thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate it. Gina, hang on. We're coming to you next. If you've got a dream, call 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news for us.
KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you for our last segment, our, not last segment of the show, but last segment of our drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Remember, this is not therapy. It's fun and entertainment. Hi, Gina. Thanks for waiting. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi. Hi. Tell me about your dream. Okay. About twice a week, I dream about my emotionally abusive ex-husband. Twice a week. Um, in the dream, about twice a week. It mm-hmm. comes and goes. But I dream that we're back together, and I don't want him. I don't want to be back together with him. Mm. And when I, it's just everyday normal things that we're doing, or I moved and he's there waiting for me. And it just, it makes me so angry and so sad, and I want to stop these dreams. Okay. So let me first of all ask you this. So the dreams okay. themselves aren't filled with emotional abuse. It's more day-to-day activities. But the reminder when you wake up of yeah. feeling the dreams is that you feel angry and sad. Would you say that you feel angry and sad yeah. during the dream? Uh, yes. I'm, yes, I'm very sad and angry during the dream because I don't want to be with him. Okay. And what... Um, what, um, uh, what am I trying to say? When, what kind of abuse... Did he have at the time? Not in a um, dream, but in life. Yeah, he was very slowly, emotionally abusive to me. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, Can you give me an example? started out being critical. 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 Um, you know, belittled me, cheated on me, and then, you know, just he kind of gaslighted me. That's mm-hmm, another mm-hmm, word I've mm-hmm. heard. Yep. Learned about that. Um, then I found out he was smoking a lot of marijuana. Okay. Um, just just a mean person. Um, for example, one day I got out of my car to go up to the ATM, and he had a huge truck, and he revved the engine right as I was walking in front of the truck and laughed and said, I'm just joking around. Why do you get so mad? Mm-hmm. You know, some people, when they have a lot of internal chaos and anger, anger is like a hot potato. You can pass it to somebody else, and then they take it on Mm -hmm. for you. So they will do a lot of these kinds of behaviors. Okay, so let's break this. How many years have you been away from him now? Uh, Three to four. Three to four years. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you, Gina, about something very complicated. This is not, and I want to be really clear, this is not to blame the victim. I want to be really clear about this. This is to say that every abusive relationship involves two people and that on some some unconscious level, you actually played the game. As he criticized you, as he belittled Mm -hmm. you, uh, when he cheated on you, it affected your self-esteem and then Mm -hmm. you behaved in that way. That's the gaslighting thing, getting people to doubt themselves. And so Mm -hmm. what this dream is that's reminding you as often as twice a week is that that's who you don't want to be again. It's not about him and being back in a relationship. It's about you and your self-esteem. And I also believe that since the feeling you have in the dream and when you wake up from the dream is anger, is that your brain is still working through the years of abuse that you had to endure. So you're still in the angry phase. I'm going to ask you to do a little experiment. 
when you go okay. to sleep every night for the next week, I'm going to ask you to have a relationship with the criticized, belittled, cheated on, gaslighted little girl. I'm going to ask okay. you to ask her to come out in your dreams. And I'm going to ask you when you see her in the dreams to give her a hug. Because I think these okay. dreams are a call for you to be healing yourself. I really do. Gina, I wish I could spend okay. all day on the phone, but I got people waiting. Thank you so much for waiting. I appreciate it. Okay, let's move to Annie. Hi, Annie in Santa Clarita. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Dr. Wendy. Um, Tell me about I your dream. I married to Gina's husband. Oh, same kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> so, um, my ex-husband died about three years ago, and ever since then I have at least once a week, if not two or three times, the same dream in different situations where I'm under pressure mm -hmm. to complete something, whether it's picking up the kids from school, making a dinner, having a party, mm -hmm. uh, filing charts at the office where we work together. I'm constantly under pressure to do the assignment, meet the deadline, and then I wake up in uh, fully in anxious fear or not fear, but just upset. Okay, and is there anything about the former ex-husband in the dream? I mean, the ex-husband? Yeah, he's always in there somewhere. He's always in there. Okay, yeah. so this is obviously a dream that where you are giving life to anxiety. And I believe that either you have a natural predisposition to anxiety or this particular relationship exacerbated it. You know, all psychology is biology meeting the environment. In other words, we have a genetic loaded gun and then what happens in the environment, our primary relationships, decide if that gene will be enlivened or not. So I'm pretty sure that you suffer from anxiety and it was probably exacerbated by this relationship. So I, I really think that um, you might want to get some therapy to get some good coping strategies for your anxiety. But this is also same prescription. Go to sleep and invite that girl in, the one that's rushing. And be there with her, hold her hand, and ask him to leave the dream. This is called lucid dreaming. And you can do it when you're half asleep and half awake. You can recreate the dream in your mind, change the ending, have him leave, and there can be a lot of healing in this. Annie, thank you so much for calling. I can't believe how many callers we have. I hope we get to everybody. Okay, Sean. Sean in Ukaipa. Hi, it's Dr. Wendy. Oh, sorry, Linda. Linda in Redondo. Hi, Linda, Redondo Beach. Hi. Hi. Tell me about your dream. Hi. Okay, it's a recurring dream that comes every couple months or so, mm -hmm. and it's always the basic premise, but in different places. I'm usually on vacation somewhere. Mm -hmm. I can't find my room. Interesting. Tell me, I know it. Tell me what do you feel in that dream? Oh, anxious, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it's nothing life-threatening, but I just yeah. can't. I don't remember where it is, or I lost the key, or So in real something. life... In real life, do you take vacations very often? Not as often as I'd like. Right. Because <laughs> you have this dream every month or every other month? Yeah. And how often do you think you take vacations? Once, twice a year? Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that what this dream is, again, it's a metaphor for your anxiety, that you suffer from some form of anxiety in your day-to-day -day anyway. But 
the fact that it surrounds this vacation thing, a time when you are supposed to feel relaxed. And the message of the dream that I'm hearing is just when you want to relax, now there's a new problem. There's a new thing to worry about. The metaphor in the dream is you can't find your room, you've lost your key, etc. But I would suggest that in real life, you, um, you can't relax, that you worry. Is that true? Yeah. I'm retired, so I shouldn't have very much to worry about. Ah. So it's the lack of routine. It's like your life is one big vacation now. And where do you put the worry? Oh. Right? In the past, you had to worry because you were late for work. You had to pay the bills. You had stuff you had to do. Worry, worry, worry. You had to get there. Mm -hmm. Now your life is one big vacation, and you still have some leftover residual anxiety. Something to work on, my dear. Thank you so much for calling, Linda. I really appreciate it. Um, Oh, I wish I could get to everybody else. Well, we do it every other week. You know that? Um, Next Sunday, we'll be doing our Should I Stay or Should I Go? If you're in a relationship where you don't know if you should stay or go, I'll weigh in. Um, But then the following week, we will do more of my drive-by dream analysis. Okay, when we come back, why do women love bad boys? And what behaviors do bad boys do that make women get glued to them? I'll have it when we come back. You're listening to KFI AM 640, the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Larry Perel has the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Our final segment of the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Remember, you can follow me online everywhere at Dr. Wendy Walsh. Let's talk about bad boys, shall we? Uh, in fact, Brooke and Joey, if you're listening, I think there's a video on my YouTube channel called Why We Love Bad Boys. We should maybe see if we can put it on the KFI page. Um, if Google doesn't get upset because of duplicate content, I've been having some trouble today because I didn't know that videos can't be in two places. If anybody knows how to solve that, let me know. Um, all right. So we all know what a bad boy is. He's actually really kind. He comes into a woman's life using amazing short-term dating strategies. He makes you feel beautiful. He makes you feel so cool. Now, bad boys might be tall. They might be rich. They might have deep voices. They may be gorgeous. They may have an exciting career. And then they disappear for a while. Days. Weeks. Then they come back again, and everything's back on again. They come and they go. And they use technology in an interesting way. Rather than using technology to connect with us, calling more often, texting more often, being more connected, they use it to hide, right? So they may be sending little emoticons, they may be sending little short messages, so you get the illusion that they're there, but you're like, "Mm, we haven't actually seen each other in two weeks, like, what is this? So what they do is they dance, they may be really good in bed, because what happens to a bad boy, he has short-term mating strategies, meaning he wants a short-term relationship, and he wants that very short-term to be good, for you and for him. So they tend to be really good in bed and learn to figure out what women want because what they're trying to do is obtain sex and not actually have a commitment. They don't want to settle down and have a long-term relationship. Although, plenty of women who date bad boys hold the fantasy that they will be the one. So why does a man become a bad boy? 
Well, first of all, there's basic biology. Higher testosterone guys tend to have more sexual partners. Because what happens is when women and men have sex, their bodies emit all kinds of exciting hormones, dopamine, norepinephrine, and, and neurotransmitters, and that famous cuddle hormone, oxytocin, which is the big bonding hormone. And the only other time in a woman's life that her body manufactures so much oxytocin is when she's breastfeeding her baby to enable bonding. And the other big time is during female orgasm. And so what happens is men get oxytocin too, but the neuropathways for oxytocin get absolutely pummeled by the huge dose of testosterone. In other words, testosterone acts as a blocker for love. And so generally guys don't fall in love through sex. They fall in love through loyalty and trust. That's a whole nother show. We did that. But um, so what happens is if the woman keeps having sex with regularity with the same guy, she will often start to fall in love and get attached because her body's emitting so much oxytocin. Another reason why some men become bad boys is they have an emotionally avoidant attachment style, meaning that they actually fear deep emotional intimacy. And I don't have to let you know that sex is a very intimate event. And no sex comes with no strings attached. There are emotional strings on both sides. There is a conversation that bodies have with each other during sex. And so bad boys, that, that, all that intimacy and all that passion is like too much for them. They feel easily smothered. They feel like it's just too much intimacy. So they have to make the dash. The dine and dash, shall we say. So why do women get so glued to men? Well, I mentioned the oxytocin effect, if there any regularity. Um, but on the other side of them, the guys that might have the avoidant attachment style, are women who might have an anxious attachment style. You know, one-third of American women have suffered some kind of abuse in their early years. And sadly, that abuse came at the hands of someone they loved. They only know bad behavior and inconsistency. So their blueprint for love looks like how bad boys treat them. And they're actually hoping to somehow, you know, make daddy love them this time. So they're actually attracted to a guy who's less giving and less caring because that represents the pain that accompanies the love, the model for love that they have. Another reason women are attracted to bad boys is that some women are just really insecure and they confuse a bad boy's emotional unavailability with self-confidence. He's aloof. He's cool. And they think, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one he'll love. And then I can love myself, right? So they set it up as, a, as this holy grail. If I can get this guy to love me, then I am finally good enough. And it's all related to low self-esteem. And finally is a learning theory called the random interval reward system. Bad boys are like Las Vegas. So remember Pavlock and his dog? all the ways to shape human behavior through reward, rewards. Well, there's no better reward than what's called a random interval reward system, where you give a varying award, amount of reward, uh, with different uh, spaces in between, just like a slot machine, right? Uh, and so what happens is bad boys don't do it consciously. They're not very conscious creatures, but because they're juggling so many women and then a night shows up and there's nobody on the calendar, so they suddenly call and then they have to, they're great apologizers. They learn to be really good apologizers. And then they tell you, oh, I'm sorry, baby. I haven't been in touch. I've been working so much. How are you? I've been thinking about you. 
I actually have long before there was uh, you know regular you know, voicemails, and I had an answering machine at home with a tape recorder in it. And when I was young and hot, I had a specific tape called Men. And it was just, I should actually publish it. Well, not give names, of course. But you would not believe the stuff they say when they're trying to get back in the door. So what happens is, just like how you get stuck to a slot machine, you get stuck to this guy. Because you start to fall in love with hope. Now, this is not me giving a lesson to men about how to treat women. Trust me. This is not my goal. But it is for women to become more aware that they could be sort of snared in through their neurochemistry by this, through their body's chemistry with the oxytocin. And what is the answer? The answer, of course, is if you are in love with longing instead of feeling in love with feelings of security, then you need to move away and do some work on yourself. All right? You need to practice self-love and realize that you are completely lovable and there will be someone there who is consistent, who is secure, who is protective. Hear that, guys? We love to feel protected. And that guy's not going to be a bad boy. You can do this. All right, that's it. I am back on Wednesday during the 1 o'clock hour on the Gary and Shannon Show. And every Sunday from 4 to 6, you can follow me online at drwendywalsh. And my website is drwendywalsh.com. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to be here on Sunday afternoons with you. And I'm grateful. I love all the comments. I'm watching them online. So I see you people saying, I'm listening now. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, We'll see you on Wednesday. You're listening to KFI AM 640. Mo Kelly is next. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.